Welcome to Blink of an Eye, life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident, rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. In January, I had the wonderful opportunity to sit down and chat with Mary Ellen McNally over Zoom. These conversations have been one of the blessings of this podcast, especially during the pandemic. If you listen to episode 26, Little Angel, and I know this is an episode that many of you have found meaningful, you've heard the story of how I collapsed at Mass and Mary Ellen was in the right place at the right time to catch me. She was one of my Cape May Beach friends at the time of Archer's accident. In our conversation, we talked about that Sunday and so much more. I'm so excited for you to hear it. Let's get started. I am blessed to introduce you to Mary Ellen McNally. Mary Ellen is an analytical chemist, was an analytical chemist for DuPont Corporation and is still an analytical chemist after a merger or a sell to FMC. More importantly, Mary Ellen was one of my beach buddies when Archer was injured August 5th, 2015 at the Cove Beach in Cape May, New Jersey, where we both have spent our summers and our long weekends in the summer at the shore. Lucky us. <laughs> Lucky us, that's very true. Welcome, 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 my friend. So thank you, Louise. You're welcome. It's I'm it's really my privilege, Mary Ellen, to have you join me because here we are five plus years later, and we've never taken the time or talked about Archer's accident itself. Right. And I don't know where you want to start in our time together, but I will tell you what was tip top of mind for me was within just days, the weekend after Archer was injured. So he was injured on a Wednesday, August the 5th. And it was that weekend, Sunday, it was the 9th of August, when lo and behold, I had no idea, but you and I, we're at the same mass at, uh, in Cape May. And Marianne, I didn't even know you were Catholic. Oh. All those wow. years of yeah. talking with you on the beach. We, we usually, you and I usually talked about worldly things and business and. Right, I right. I don't know, as, as more like two, two professional women, a lot right. of our conversations were around our sort of professional work in some ways, right. you know? Right. But anyway, that's that's just uh, 
I was flooded with thinking of you then. And I don't know if you even remember that. Oh, I well, I do remember it. And it's funny that you should say that because, um, you know, I, I am not a uh, regimented enough person on the weekend that I always go to the same mass. But when I'm in Cape May, you know, I do try to go to mass on Sunday morning. And for some reason that morning, I, I don't know which mass it was, but I had a feeling that I needed to be there. Really? So the fact that I saw you there and I, when I saw you there, I knew, I knew to stand behind you for some reason. So I don't forget that. I remember that distinctly. Oh, Mary Ellen, I am getting goosebumps. My hair is standing straight up on end. That is the Holy Spirit passing over for me. Because, you know, I ride my bike and, you know, some mornings it's a little more hectic at home and getting out and stuff like that. But, yeah, no, I do remember that distinctly, that I had this feeling that I needed to be there. And when, and I didn't, you know, I didn't think of that I would see you there. I didn't have any premonition of what was going to happen. But when I saw that you were there, I had the sense that I should be near you. Thank you. There you go. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, who knows where that comes from? Let's say, call well, that divine providence or whatever. But that's, that's what I mean. Okay, I so well, let's actually, let's pause on that because call it divine providence. What is it that prompted you to listen, to have that feeling and to listen to it and then act on it? Do you have a sense of that? Well, you know, as a scientist, you're you're very regimented in terms of your thought processes around experimentation and what needs to be done. So your experiments are thorough. But um, I have always tried to listen to my gut. And so that was just a gut feeling that said, you know, you need to do this. And there are times in my life when I haven't followed it, I've always regretted it. Wow. So that, you know, so that's what I do. Yeah. So it came with some. It came with just like this, this need, oh, you know, you need to be at this one. And, you know, I go to mass and I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't always go to the eight. I don't always go to the 11, whatever it is, you know, whatever happens to fit into my schedule that day. But yeah, that day I had a feeling to be there. So I do remember that. Amazing. Well, that day. I'm not so sure I had planned to go either, but Billy had texted me asking, I had just been home for about four hours to sleep. And I got his text asking me if I would bring communion to Archer. Oh. And I, I was like, how in the heck am I gonna do that? He's got all these tubes in him. He can't eat, he can't drink, he, but, Billy wanted me to bring communion to him. So I had to figure out how to go to mass and then get a PIX. And I wasn't friendly on a personal basis with any of the priests at Star of the Sea back then. Right. We were like you. We were just, you know, it was the place where we went to mass on Sundays. Right. And we didn't always go to the same mass. Right. Uh, but we, but for the most part, you know how they used to have masses like on the hour. Right. On the hour. I love that, but okay. They don't I, do that anymore. I know <laughs> they don't do it anymore. It's such a shame, but I loved it too. And in fact, I'll tell you just a little anecdotally, but 
I knew the earliest mass used to be six o'clock in the morning because our son Pete actually, when he was in middle school, would get up and go to six o'clock mass and then he'd go surfing. And I remember thinking, where else do you find a place on earth where your middle school kid will actually go to church on his own and then go surf? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. I mean, it was just too, it was too good to be true, you know, Mm -hmm. but, um, but I went and what I remember about that is I went up into that side door, you know, it's, it's yeah, August. That's, that's my door. Yep. Your door. Okay. <laughs> so, it's hot. It was, you know, that, that week in Cape May was hotter than blazes. Hot, hot, hot. And church was per usual packed. Right. And I, I remember navigating my way up so I could see the altar because I needed to see who the priest was because I knew I was trying to get a PIX right. after mass. You know, a PIX, the one that right. little yep. containers that little hold the container, host. right. And I was distracted, I had a lot on my mind. And I, I just remember, I remember going to sing. I love to sing. And I couldn't get anything out. Like I was just, uh-huh. and then I started to get a little quavery and then they did the petitions. Do you remember? Yeah. And they announced, they asked for prayers for Archer, right? They did. They asked for prayers for Archer. And I thought I was going to fall over. I thought you were too. <laughs> so, so remember that? So what happened? Yeah, I, 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 remember leaned. That. I thought, oh my God, she's going to fall over. And I didn't know if anybody else knew who you were. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, that was what was so spectacular about it because I lost my balance when they said Archer Sempt and then they said, who was in a diving accident and is paralyzed in the ICU. I, 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 I was feeling so alone standing there, like all these people around me, nobody knows me. Nobody knows what I'm going through. They're going to go to the beach. And I, I, I was on vacation. Like, you know, what has happened? And I just completely... And I turned, Mary Ellen, and there you were. And you grabbed me. And you just held me. It's tear-jerking, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, yeah. I do remember that. I won't forget that. And that you knew to move close to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know. Mary Ellen, I didn't even know God you were God puts you where he needs you to be. And so you needed me and he put me there. That's all you have to, just go with that, Louise. That's what I go with, you know? But yeah, it, it was, um, I, I could only imagine if, so, if it had happened to Patrick and somebody had said his name like that, I think I would have done the same thing as you. Yeah. 
because it was such a day of, I mean, at that time, it was so new, it was so fresh, you had no idea what was coming, or even whether he would make it. And so it was, it was overwhelming, I'm sure. It was overwhelming for me, and it wasn't my son. That's exactly, that's exactly. And you know, I've been so curious about what it was like. I mean, you say it was overwhelming for you, and it wasn't even your son. And yet, you could easily say, it could have been my son. Of course. I think that's, I mean, I don't know how many other women you've talked to on the beach that have, you know, children that are the same age as your sons, but when they're in that town, you just think they're in this microcosm of safety and they ride their bike everywhere and yeah, they have accidents, but they come home, they have friends all over town, they go surfing when the surf is up and they go body surfing and they have a boat and then they go out on the boat and they go fishing. And you just think because they have done this their whole life that everything is fine. And to have Archer damaged in something that any one of our children could have done any single day, I, it was just, it was mind boggling. I think that captures why it was also so mind boggling. We were in not only our happy place, right? but like you said, our little microcosm of safety. It, it's exactly why we leave Baltimore. We love Baltimore, but exactly why we leave Baltimore mm-hmm. to go to this safe haven. Right, right. And so many others. Yeah, and, and so many of us do. And, and so it's, yeah, it was, it was just because of that. And I certainly, I don't live near you at home, but our sons went to schools that were, you know, similar and they played each other in sports. And so people from my son's school, which is probably a hundred miles away, knew about your son through some of your other neighbors in Cape May, right? And so there were services for Archer, right? And Patrick identified with that. Wow. Those are services, Mary Ellen, that I don't even know about. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. It's, you know, everybody was devastated, but they, they, nobody's ever going to be as devastated as you were. You're his mom. I knew how devastated I was, but I had no ability to really know how devastated I was because I was so in all of that overwhelm. Like it almost takes months, if not years, to kind of realize the devastation, making sense of it, but to really fully, I don't even fully realize it now. You know, it's still shaping my life now. Sure it is. But I think that's the case for a lot of things that are considered traumatic events. Because when when you're in a traumatic event, you're just trying to survive. Yes. Right. And so 
when you're when you're um, and then later if you if it goes away and the repercussions are all taken care of, then you might have the luxury of thinking about it. But some people maybe never get that luxury to think about it. You know, that's a that's an interesting view and one I really resonate with that we almost have to. I don't know of anybody who escapes trauma. No, I don't think so. In life, right? Something's no. going to happen. Divorce, no, does. I agree loss of a child, loss of a sister, a really bad accident. You know, you name it. It's just mm -hmm. stuff happens. And we almost must create the luxury of looking back to be able to make sense of things in order to really metabolize and be whole again. Because I think otherwise we kind of walk around really wounded. And broken, you walk around broken. Yeah. You know, and that's, you know, that's a tough place to be. And, you know, I had a conversation with somebody about that just last week. And um, after you've been broken for whatever reason, you have to build your trust back up again whether it's in another individual or it's in a circumstance or it's just in yourself that you can handle things again. And, you know, that's a tough thing to keep doing that over and over again as, as different things keep pounding you through life, right? Because they do, right? That's what you described, you know, that you people, you get pounded, you know, someone dies, you know, someone gets injured, your family's dealing with the pandemic, your family's dealing with the son who's been critically injured. You know, there's a lot of things that, that people have to go through that are really difficult and, and it's tough, but you have to keep on picking yourself up. You know, and some people, some people choose to focus on, I mean, unfortunately, some people have uh, developed addictions like alcoholism or drug addictions because yeah. it's all too much for them but you know but some people are wise enough to go to counseling or support groups and and there are groups out there that will help but I think that you know really really it's something that somebody said to me many many years ago but you know it's a process living it's not an end goal so we have to go through this process, every single one of us, you know, and for whatever reason God has for us here to interact with individuals along the way or some other goal that he has for us to do in life, we've got to keep our minds and our directions for that. We have to go for that. I'm with you. I, I feel even today, I feel clearer than ever that we are on this earth to live and to live fully. And it is not a joyful experience every day, but that's part of living. Oh, it you is. To make you sense know? of it, you know, like yeah. it's a process. Like you right. said, it's a right. process. It's a process. And you're, you know, laughter is good. <laughs> laughter is good. <laughs> laughter is good. Yeah. Tears are hard, but you know, you don't want to shut down. That's why. No, I, I think actually we know, think about alcoholism and drug addiction. I mean, we could name a whole lot of other things to that, but even things that seem 
less harmful, but just shutting down, you know, or not trusting people anymore, for instance. Those are all similar, potentially equally harmful coping mechanisms mm. to trauma. Right. You know, when right. we've just been so devastated. Right. I do think it's worth carving out. It's so hard to carve out time, as you said, when we then get like pelted again. But maybe I'm beginning to look at it as we carve out time. Like something that's really helps me a lot is God's time. Hmm. When I'm feeling really pressured, it's God's time. And then I get back to what I need to do, carving it out. It's, it's such a messy, full, but both process, I think, where there is time to reflect so you can metabolize and build yourself up that day in order to absorb other kinds of pain that comes your way. Mm -hmm. This is all I know. But if you don't do this carve out time, and it's just one slam after another. It's right. no wonder. Yeah. Right. You can get pretty low. Yeah. yeah. And we did have days of being slammed for months, like one after another. Mm -hmm. But I think it was uh, the wee hours of writing those blogs, honestly, and feeling close to God and feeling like an energy field was being created. Like I didn't know about the services, you know, for instance, that Pat or, were, you know, his school had had, but I could feel in our hospital room with Archer that something was happening out there that was feeding us in here. It was incredible. Well, I think it was incredible what you were able to write. I think it was on Facebook that you were yeah. writing things. You know, I think that was, that kept people engaged in, you know, in your family's process and the trauma. And that, that probably was both cathartic for you as well as, you know, something where people could feel more in touch with you. Because a lot of times when something like that happens, people don't know how to help you. You know, but you were laying it out very clear to them. Just pray, just pray, just pray, just pray. And so, you know, people want direction. <laughs> you know, they want to know that this is what you need. You need a spaghetti dinner? Well, maybe, but, you know, I really just need prayers more right now. I can stop at McDonald's. <laughs> you, you know how when you told me that something had told you to like just go to mass, even though you don't have a regular time or anything like that, and you just heeded the call and you went, something told me in the hospital to be specific about prayer. Oh, wow. Pray very specifically day by day. Wow. Well. Good. Isn't that amazing? It worked. It worked. Not just another angel. Yeah. yeah. I do believe that. I've I've come to believe a lot of things more mystically than I or maybe I have explored it more where ideas and beliefs I had as a young girl, sort of around mysticism and saints and you know the Holy Spirit really became so much more vivid and alive for me. And one of them is just how 
carried we all are by so many people who have died and our guardian angels who want us to do good. Right. If we can right. just, just listen. Right. That's very true. Yeah. What are you thinking? You've got times in your life when that's happening. Yeah, well, I'm thinking because my mother had this affinity for doves, right? And so, and my sister had passed away when she was in her early 30s from complications from diabetes. And my oh. father died uh, probably 15 years before my mother. But every time there were two doves, she would say it was my father and my sister, right? Yeah. And it's funny because, and Patrick doesn't care for this, but, um, and now that my mother has passed away, you know, I see three doves very frequently, you know? And so it wasn't my initial thing to think of. It came from her, but, you know, I do think of that when I see three of them. And sometimes there's three of them at the base of my driveway when I'm driving out to go to work in the morning. You see my goose, you know, my hair is standing straight up on end on my arms again. So, you know, in Cape May above the front door, there's a transom, right? And for yeah. the last couple of years, doves have built a nest every spring. And so I string off the steps to the front porch so that nobody disturbs the doves and they have to walk around to the side door, which means you have to bring the groceries in from the side door. <laughs> oh, yes. And it means that there's sticks and twigs all over the place, but you can see them when you're coming down the steps from the second floor, you can see them through the glass of the transom. And I just think it's great. And he thinks it's a pain in the neck, right? Because it's so inconvenient and then it's dirty. <laughs> and I think, but well, we're not, as long as they keep coming back, we're not taking this down, you know? So we'll see if they come back this year. They're I love late. how you have uh, honored them. And I bet they do. <laughs> I bet they will come back. Yeah. So who knows if they're related? They're I heard married. something about um, in sort of some of my studying that for those who have passed on, when they want to communicate with you, and, you know, we think about as Catholics, the thrones and dominions yeah you know, that they will speak to you in a language you will recognize yeah so your mom's language was doves and she had already taught you that two was you know your dad and your sister right so she knows how to speak to you yeah isn't yeah. that beautiful yeah but she messes yeah. up the porch every spring. Oh, yeah, she might mess up the porch. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Patrick might think you're a little wacky, you know. Oh, but... he thinks I'm wacky, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, it's okay. It's really, it's okay. You know, I'm just, I'm wondering and kind of curious around faith. I, I know for me, faith got stronger and stronger. It was always strong, but I, I didn't tell people so much about my faith. You know, I tried to live my faith. It's sort of easy to do that. Not easy, but, you know, when you're Catholic and you go to Catholic grade school and high school, which I did, there was always a message of service right. and, you know, live, live your faith. Don't tell people, live it right. was a message, at least one of many messages, but that's the one that stuck. Right. And so I didn't, I was uh, not familiar with talking to people about faith or about God um, or Mary or Jesus or the saints or the Trinity or all the things that I hold 
very deeply. What about for you? What about faith for you? Well, you know, I don't volunteer uh, things with somebody, but if they bring the subject up, I will talk to them. You know, I don't like to push it on anybody, you know, but I would never deny my faith. Right. And there were different periods when I was much younger that I I don't think my faith was as strong. But, you know, I I do think that there were some traumatic events in my life, like my sister passing and, you know, know, I'm divorced. That, you know, those events, I think, brought me closer to faith, made me realize that without a strong faith, there were certain things that I wouldn't have survived mentally. So I'm happy to talk to people about it, but I don't push it on anybody. You know, I don't know how people who experience real setbacks in their life and traumas, I don't know how they survive without faith. No, I don't either. But something is something is much bigger than you are. Right, right. It doesn't have to be Catholic faith. No, I don't think it has to do with anything. I mean, I love the Catholic Church, but I don't think it's the answer for everybody. I do think that just believing in a higher power is the most important thing and that you're not necessarily in control of everything. But, you know, prayer is important. That's all I can say. I don't know anything more powerful than prayer. I, uh, and I'm a scientist. So, you know, I know people feel that's very nebulous, but, you know, I don't feel that way. It's I don't feel if you're not asking, you're not going to get I think that's a piece. Like if you don't ask, that's to me, like any relationship, I want to know who you are. Come talk to me. I don't want to be chasing you all the time. You know, Right. Right. that's what God wants. I believe, you know, this divine energy wants us to say, I need you. I love you. I want to dance with you. I want to play with you. I want to have you hold me when I'm sad. I want to be with you. I think that's what it's all about. Right. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. It's so personal. Prayer is so intimate. Right. That is what happened for me too. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to think that it had to take that for you to get there, but maybe it does, you know, that in order to get to the level that God would like you to be at in your own personal relationship with him, maybe you have to have traumatic events. And I think that's true for a lot of things in your life though. Some people, things just come naturally to them and other people struggle. It doesn't mean that they don't end up in the same place. It's just that their path is different. My path is not the easiest, (laughs) you know? um, Those who struggle, for me, it's like, it's just a young soul. You know, oh. it's just a rebellious, younger soul that hmm. is kind of living in with this as part of the person. Right. And that when there are these real tragedies that you can overcome with great pain and loss and suffering, but you can still overcome them with a certain amount of grace in the overcoming itself, I think you've just been helped along by a lot of older angels, honestly. <laughs> you know, like, like you've been around for a while. I right. just, that's what I've really come to sort of make sense of it. You know, I work with a lot of guys who've been in prison, who've murdered, 
it's not part of my regular work, but it's part of my service work. And um, why'd they do this? And they're just young, reckless, ungrounded, you know, lots of other things in their lives, right? You know, they, you know, their mother was on drugs and they didn't know who their father was, or, you know, he, he was abusive or their lives are, they're poor, but they're laundering 10 and 15 grand thousands of dollars a night, you know, in the drug transactional world, illegal. Anyway, I've, I've really marveled at them and have gotten to know them quite well over the years. And I just think it's this quality of like a young soul. Yeah. And because, because there are others who of their own peers in those similar circumstances who do not have that same path at all. They get out, they're educated, they get a job, they, you know, have a relationship, they even get married, have kids, you know, it's a, it's a completely, they're just not as um, angry and rebellious. And I don't think it's just all by personality. Right. I think it's a spiritual working out of things as well. And I think that the closer you can come to a relationship with this grand force, the sooner you can do that, the calmer your spirit can become Mm. and less chapters of harm to yourself and others, you will then have to live. Right. Because the ones who are in jail and they find oftentimes um, it's through Islam, they, they find the, uh, the Quran. Right. And their souls are tempered. And I, I'm just so grateful and happy for them that they find a belief system. It's one God. Right. You know, it just comes in different explanations that are meaningful to people right and you have to think about you know culturally if we go around the world and the different cultures you know were not connected just because of they couldn't travel they didn't even know the other cultures existed for so long but they all have developed some kind of worship of a supreme being yeah they have all so that's really a magnificent thing really you know, I, I love that actually for how it is that we're all so connected right and interconnected with the supreme source right and i think it's a need i think it's a need that we humans have you know to do that so i don't when somebody says they're agnostic or an atheist i think to myself oh you really haven't thought about this at all have you <laughs> and i don't I, know if that's I, I find that one not. really hard too <laughs> you yeah, know, like you haven't thought about this much. Right. That's what or, I think. Or, or you're really rebelling. That soul is so, is so young. Right. Or it's in such pain. Yes. In such pain. Right. Yeah. Being wounded definitely will keep people being walled off. Sort of another aspect of what I think people will do to cope. Right. And walling themselves off from a relationship with this divine source it's almost an infliction of personal cruelty (laughs) you know like why deny yourself right that's true yeah it's kind of of yeah we all deserve everything that's the thing that people don't realize right we all deserve to have everything we do yeah we do that's uh 
you know, speaking of just other flavors, you know, I'm a wretch and I'm undeserved. It's like, oh no, I live in the image of God and God wants me to live fully. And I mean, people might get it wrong when they're thinking they're like, you know, they don't need God or, you know, they're better than God. Now that's right. not what I'm talking about at all. I'm, right. I'm talking about, we, we, we deserve everything good. Right. We weren't put on this earth to suffer. No. 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 We did to ourselves. Yeah. We do. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You know, this is fun. I can't wait to <laughs> sit on the beach uh, next time with this whole new <laughs> chapter. Oh, like oh, Mary Ellen. <laughs> All right, how well, worked in your life? Well, I don't know exactly the first time I met you because there's so many beach days, but I do remember one of the first times I met you. It was through Chris and you were writing the book. And I think you were you were in Cape May by yourself trying to work on the chapters. And I remember saying to you, just crank it out. You know? I say, that just came to me. I told me to crank it out. Just go crank well, it out. Well, because, you know, you know in, in science, you write a lot of things. And guess what? You can always edit it. But if it's not down on the paper, you can't ha- edit anything. You know? you know, Mary Ellen, I have certainly not thought about that. But I can tell you exactly where we were standing at the cove when we had that conversation because I had ridden my bicycle over there just to take a quick break. Right. And I met you for the first time. Okay. And when I learned that you were, and I thought at the time that you were an engineer and that you wrote, right? I was like, I got you because I knew that you got me. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And then, I don't write anything like what you write. You know, my what I write is mostly facts and, you know. Well, that book took three years to oh, actually wow. write. It was a synthesis that, to make it um, very digestible for popular reading. Um, and then I came back to you and you took a look at it. You reviewed it. Yeah. No, I enjoyed the book. It was an interesting perspective. I think it's a... Uh, I'm trying to think. There was it's a movie. I think it's Meg Ryan. She said, you know, when somebody says it's not personal, and she said something to the effect that, what does that mean? It's all personal. It's all personal. Right. I think it might have been you've got mail or something like that. I'll never forget that sentence because it's true. Everything that you say to somebody or do to somebody or any kind of interaction, it's always personal. Yeah. And that's kind of what your book is saying too, right? You know, It is at the heart of everything is um, how we are with each other. Everything is so personal. Even mm-hmm. from this interview, two people, all the way up through a group of people to people making public policy for the state, for the country, and then intra-countries, it all the way up through everything matters to the well-being of humans. Right. That's at the heart of it and how it is that we, who you are is as important in your interactions and what you do as what you do. You're being and then you're becoming when then we belong with each other. And mm-hmm. that's what it's all about. Yeah. yeah. You well, want to know something about being relational sometime during the year of end of 2014 or beginning of 2015. And then it was at the publishers and then the book was coming out two 
and a half, three weeks after Archer was injured. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you've got sort of the business side of that, which is that everything got scuttled. No talks, no radio shows, no all that stuff that they set you up with, with the publicists. More importantly, I felt like, because it was so fresh, writing it for three years, then working with the publisher on you know, the book cover and the indices and testimonials for another year, four years. I feel like God had me prepared to navigate through this crisis with Archer in a relational way. And there, there were fights for his life. Well, you know, and I remember saying something to you about this, and I think it was we were by our bicycles outside church. Do you remember me saying to you, you know, it's unfortunate, but you're probably one of the best people to be talking to, because you had been saying, you know, how tough the doctors were and the egos in the room. And I said, well, you know, your experience as a mediator is exactly what they need. That field needs somebody with your skill set, you know? And it's horrible to think that something like that had to happen to Archer for those people to see your expertise, but you were the best one to fight for him, not just being his mother, but because of your skill set. Wow. I'm so grateful to God for whispering and encouraging me to follow that path that was alternative to have that skill set. So thank you. And one of my big visions is to take this approach into the medical, especially with ICUs, into that medical arena for other families and for staff, for medical staff too. Yeah. Have to be like it was. Is so focused these days. You know, we, we raise our children and we set up our school systems that we have our successful, bright people be so goal-oriented and so competitive that they are not being relational, right? They're not being personal. That's right. And so that's one of the reasons I think that what you are setting out to do is probably a really good thing because these are the people that they need to relate to their patients and their patients' families. And I see it just in the some of the instances that have happened in my own family, that if I walk in and that what they have maybe told my brother or you know at the time my mother, as soon as I would say to them, I'm a chemist, the language changed and the information changed. In what way? I think they felt more comfortable that they weren't gonna overwhelm somebody with the knowledge, yeah. you know? Yeah. I'm not saying I knew everything they were talking about. It's certainly not my specialty, but um, I certainly could retain it and, you know, go back and look it up or find things out. It almost um, removes a barrier for them with having to translate right. in a way that's more digestible for right. the layperson. Right. Yeah. You could speak the science. You could understand the science. Right. Even if it wasn't medicine. Right. Science, science. Mm -hmm. just give it to me what you have and And i think that piece like just give it to me what you have it when you think about it it's pretty primitive it's it's like 
all of a sudden in telling them you were a chemist, you were part of their tribe. You'd like oh, maybe. In group I didn't and think of it that way, but yeah. So, but anyway, I, I noticed it's the difference. And my brother, who is not a chemist and I've always thought was smarter than me though, can't get that information out of them. And he would say, could you go ask them this? I experienced in the hospital that, and I, I used it at the beginning because I was sort of experimenting being a lawyer that it either totally chilled, like I just couldn't get any information or it was the only way I could get, I would get information. Oh, okay. And when it was in the, the second time, you know, the people who would respond to it was for the same reason that you just mentioned when they learned you were a chemist. It was more that I was a professional. Right. It really wasn't because they sort of knew me enough. I mean, they didn't know me, but enough. It was more professional to professional. Right. Whereas just like coming in off the street, got a patient, she's a lawyer. Everything was chilled. Right. Labels are powerful, aren't they? Really? I mean, they are. And you, you know, you have such a great memory from all those years ago, reading, being relational competition is what creates us being transactional with each other, the antithesis of being relational and the, and therefore this lack of cooperation with each other and labeling is what we do to separate ourselves from each other in that world of competition. Right. With me, right. you're against me, you, you're, you're part of my tribe, you're, you're not, um, do I have to look out for you or do you have my back? I mean, it's just super quick way that the brain chunks information. Right, right. And we make those judgment calls instantaneously. Instantaneously. And then we live by them and they could be totally off. but 100% incorrect. Right. And, and if without awareness, this is where like, relational awareness without that awareness we do live in those labels and never get under it you know like you've got training to ask and to probe and to analyze you know that's you have a phd in that right <laughs> you know <laughs> um, imagine you know and i can guarantee you some people think my questions are way too much but you know, not even in the science because I do ask a lot of questions and it's just normal for me. Yeah, by nature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you acclimated yourself and gravitated towards a profession that was quite suitable for your personality. Right. We're lucky when that happens. Oh, I'm blessed. I'm <laughs> yeah, totally, exactly. totally blessed. I thank God every single day that I get to do what I do. I feel very blessed too. Like, how did I get so lucky as to become a lawyer, say, realize how the courtroom was, would tear me up on the inside because I was so competitive that if I lost, I would just be beside myself, not because I'd lost, because I didn't want my client to be let down. I didn't want them to not like me anymore. I didn't want them to think I wasn't good enough or professional enough. Blah, blah, blah. So all my own ego that was caught up in that, not, not so much for the sake of winning and losing, but for the sake of image and would I be loved was right. healing me. Right. Well, very early in my career, it was, you know, my chosen career path is very competitive too. And it's, and it's a very male dominated field that I'm in, mm -hmm. but very early in my career, I was thinking to myself, I am not going to survive 
in this, if I'm keep competing against all these people, you know, it's nuts. And so I decided, and it was one of the, and it was a very personal decision that at the time I didn't share with anybody, but um, I decided that the only person I was going to try to outdo was myself. And that has served me very well. You know, oh, so, so people, you know, have said to me, wow, you collaborate with a lot of people. And I'm thinking, yeah, it's easy that way. You know, it's much easier because I'm not in competition with them. I'm only in competition with how well did I do and can I do better? Isn't that Mary Ellen, there's a that's a huge piece of wisdom for how to you know, remain on the competitive edge, as we might say, without being competitive, because you have created a new frame mm -hmm. of being competitive with myself. Well, I think you, because you don't know me, you know, in corporate environment or in the scientific environment, you know me from the beach, right? You know, I'm, I'm a people person. Totally. So to be competitive with the people that I had to work with every day was kind of like what you said, it tore me up. Tore me up too. It tore me it up. It literally thought, tore me up. This cannot go on. I, you know, and I thought, well, I really love this. How am I going to do this and be okay? And that's I, I just wonder how many other women, professional women, like we are, have had that same experience. Like I'm, I'm top of my game. I'm, I'm a smart, I'm swimming in this river with men who are so competitive and other women who are trying to be like men. Right. At least that's yeah, how it yeah. was for me. All the women yeah. were basically trying to be like the men. Right. Well, there's not that many women. In what I do. So that makes it a little easier, but it's just worked for me this way. You know? Yeah. What a blessing. It is a blessing. I feel the but same. I know that I thought about it and I thought long and hard about it because it was getting almost to the point where, it just wasn't even pleasant to do what I knew I loved to do. I had one of those, um, mine was a little bit more gradual over time, but so many trials and my working, you know, practically pulling all nighters, having babies, I was on number two. And then to have my client be thrilled when I won or when things weren't going so well and we'd have a lunch break, you know, having a martini. Uh, as an insurance adjuster and basically talking to me about like the next case when I'm like totally focused on every single thing for her or for right. him, like, you know, why are you doing this? And who it wasn't to step away. Cause I loved fighting for something that was important. What I loved was helping people solve problems. Right. That's what I love doing. Right. And then to realize that it wasn't really happening in the court, even with a jury, that, that wasn't where these problems were being solved. Mm -hmm. What part of things I love, I loved, you know, depositions. And I was always told my depositions would go too long. So I'd ask too many questions and this, that, and the other, you know, just keep a clipping along, you know, for the client. And like, no, that's because I would get along with the other side quite well. I would get along with my adverse witnesses, their witnesses, quite well and I'd find out about their lives and I had to just realize over the course of a number of months probably a couple of years that that's actually what I was going to start doing yeah going to do it in an alternative kind of way right yeah so we we figure it out when we're paying attention yeah yeah that's the key mm -hmm. that's the key
when you're doing what what the profession is, you forget to pay attention to the bigger picture and what's going on. That's the tough part. Yeah. That kind of takes us back to, in some ways, where we started, even with trauma, that it's not a luxury to do a look back. It's a necessity. Yeah. 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 Paying attention is a necessity. Right. Because then you can withstand a number of things and realize that there's some learnings here if I'm miserable or if I'm <laughs> not happy, right? right. There's some right. learnings. I can do yeah. this a little differently. Yeah. I don't ever remember being miserable. It's <laughs> not, so not in your Isn't that wonderful? That <laughs> is wonderful. It is. It really is. Yeah. You know, if we, if we wind down here and we think about the totality of all the things we've talked about, if there were something that you would want listeners of blink of an eye, who are, who are also being introduced probably incrementally, but at some point along the way, more so to being relational and the concepts there, but the blink of an eye story that you know well from reading the blogs, is there anything since you were an early reader, you were right there with me at Star of the Sea Church, Our Lady, Star of the Sea, and all the way through. Is there anything that you would want listeners to know about your thoughts or your experience as we close? Well, that's in, that's an interesting question. I know you put on the podcast, you know, how I got up in the middle of the night and prayed for you. And so I guess if I had to say anything, it would be just to stay tuned to your feelings and what you need to do. I think that's what it is. I don't know. I can honestly say I've never done that before. I've never done it since, but for some reason it happened the way it did. And I think, you know, a lot of times you try to stay in, in different relationships you have with different people. You know, sometimes they're, they're in depth relationships. Sometimes they're very shallow, but, you know, I think you have to be in tune with what you feel someone might need from you. And I, I don't think it matters whether you know that person really well and it's somebody you talk to every day or somebody you talk to every week. It's just that, you know, there are messages coming in and you've got to be receptive to that. There are messages coming in. Mm -hmm. Even when it's just a passing relationship. Mm -hmm. And we had not even talked about in this interview what happened when you were awakened? It was bizarre. I told you I've, it has never happened before then. It has not happened since, but it woke me up in the middle of the night. What woke you up? It's crazy. And I'm just thinking, I mean, it woke me up and said, get on your knees and pray. So what was happening exactly at that moment with Archer? I don't know. You know, but something woke me up because I was sound asleep. Because, you know, you're at the beach all day. You know, when you go to bed down in Cape May, you're in bed asleep pretty quickly. You know, <laughs> and so, but something woke me up and sent me to my knees. I mean, I pray every day, Louise, but I don't get down on my knees every day. Sometimes my prayers are when I'm at a stoplight, you know, so it was just something happened. I can't tell you what it was. 
Oh, Mary Ellen. It was not a dream. I didn't dream to wake up. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. But, you know, it's just my feeling is that, you know, it was just something you needed right then. When I get to those to those actual writings, because I was writing things in real time, then I will be able to piece more of that together to know what it was that was happening with Archer. But I can tell you something that is 100% my truth, Mary Ellen. I knew that what good happened with Archer when he escaped death and found something that they said was not there, strength, breath, whatever it was, was because we were praying together and creating, lifting this vibration. I now understand it a heck of a lot better five and a half years later. I didn't have the language for it then. Mm. But I knew, just like you just said, I knew to pay attention and I wasn't alone and I couldn't do this myself. And you were awakened to get on your knees. And you did. You got on your knees. Yeah. Wow. Do you remember what you prayed, Mary Ellen? There's a prayer of Jabeb. Do you know that one? I don't. I think, it, I don't know, even know how to spell that, Louise. I used to. It might be, but it's, oh, that you bless him indeed and expand his territories, take him by the hand and protect him from all evil. Wow. So I prayed that for a while. I just prayed over and over again. It's generally when I pray when somebody asks me for prayers, but, you know, maybe once or twice while I'm walking along, I said, oh, I'll pray for somebody. But I did, I was up for a little while praying that prayer. Mary Ellen, I believe that part of what was happening with Archer was a good and evil struggle. Really? Mm -hmm. I felt that the devil was in his room. Ugh. On the timeline, Archer out of nowhere, flatlined, with that heart attack, he had three and one was six minutes long. And I, I don't know where it came from for me, but I got up like a crazy, well, I didn't feel crazy at all, but I felt totally like there was no barrier. I said, get out, devil be gone. Oh, wow. It was it was evil in that room. Why do you think that is? Billy and I talked about this a little bit. We had a couple other things sort of going on. We were in the scon, you know, totally ensconced with being relational. But some things had happened with the book. You see, being relational is everything the devil would hate. Right. And the publisher we could have pulled everything at that point also. Right. And I believe it's just the beginning right now of what we're doing right now. It was all, it's already been written. There are larger messages. Okay. That makes sense. And I think Archer himself is going to be a messenger 
and I could be completely wrong and that'll be his journey. And, but um, if you listen to episode two of the podcast, Archer died at the beach club. Oh, and God gave Archer a choice to live to come to or not to come back. And Archer said his preference was to live. Okay. Knowing he was completely paralyzed. Oh, he knew. He knew. Holy moly. Oh, that's a rough one. That's a tough choice to make at his age. That's a tough choice to make at any age. Yes, it is. And Archer told me that night before he went into surgery, he was glowing. Everything, he was up on this gurney. I had to fight the medical staff to see my son and I was out of it. I was out of my mind. Sure, I can only imagine. But as soon as I saw Archer, I was completely, completely restored. I was full facultied. Everything about me was back to myself. And he told me the story of how he talked with God. Holy moly. So that's, I don't know, and I only share that with you. <laughs> Why do I share that? I don't know, Mary Ellen. Why were you there at Star of the Sea? Why did you get on your knees? Why am I telling you this right now? No one's ever asked me, but I know the devil was in that room. I know we got rid of the devil. I moved rooms. I didn't want to stay in that room. I didn't want Archer in that room anymore. There's a larger message. There's a messenger here, I think. And I, I'm just... I'm just helping to pave the way. That's the way I see it. Yeah. Oh, I can go with that. It's just paving the way to hopefully help people's lives. But there's something much bigger. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I agree. There's things that have happened in my life that I know have had an impact on feeding the world. That's a huge thing. That's right? huge. And so I just go with the gifts I have, try to give my best every day and keep on moving. Am I actually out there growing the crops? No, I'm not. But, you know, it's a piece. It's a piece. Well, thank you, Angel. <laughs> well, you're welcome. <laughs> and I, I don't, I didn't know those details of how you were awakened and then on your knees and to really be reminded of it too, also now, and now I can put things in. God works in mysterious ways. God works just in gotta mysterious go with, ways. Just got to go with it. Thank you for your prayers. Oh, my pleasure. And I can't wait to see you in the flesh <laughs> and have many, many summers yeah. for us. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. I am too. Thank you for listening to this special bonus episode. Stay tuned for more interview episodes over the next few weeks. Also, we will be releasing monthly interviews just for our Patreon patrons starting this month. So if you'd like to find out more about how to join the Blink of an Eye community there, visit www.patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash blink of an eye pod and if you'd like to reach out to me directly please feel free to send me an email at louise 
at blinkofaneyepodcast.com. Season two begins June 23rd. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>